Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil, and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hi, welcome to the Garden Gurus Live. I'm joined today by the fantastic Katie Armstrong Sips. How are you going, Katie? Yeah, good, thanks yourself. Couldn't be better. Yes, what a, a great day. Spring sprung. Sure has. It's good and, to be uh, here. And it's also nice to have a little bit of rain. We've got a big water mm. tank and it's lovely to see that water flying into it. Warm weather, bit of rain, perfect time to get growing. Yep. And uh, so we've got a great show lined up for you today. And here's what's coming up. Love the Garden will join us to talk about how you can prepare your buffalo lawn for spring. What foolproof succulent should you be planting at this time of the year in your garden? And if you've got any questions, please ask them in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. But first, let's talk about hydroponics and aquaponics system. I believe this is a topic you know a lot about, Neville. Well, it's something I'm pretty passionate about. Um, I've been growing uh, some of these systems now for about 15 years, uh, particularly the aquaponic ones, and they get people excited. You know, you're growing fish that you can eat like uh, barramundi and um, uh, as well as silver perch and lots of veggies as well. Um, we also have a hydroponic farm operating next to our, our home. And so I get all this lovely fresh, uh, fresh picked fruit and veg. So it's pretty exciting stuff. Sure is. So is there systems like this that you could have in a small, small space such as say a spare bedroom? Now you've struck a chord with me there because I did a calculation uh, and the estimation is that there are something in the order of 1.2 million unused bedrooms in Western Australia. And that's just WA? That's just WA, yes. Imagine what that's like across the rest of the country. Absolutely. So we've invested in these in these rooms, which are very expensive to decorate, and we've taken away 10 or 12 square metres of land that we used to have as the great Aussie backyard and it's where we grew our fruit and veg. So I'm on a mission to try and convert people to growing or making this spare bedroom the vegetable growing hub for the family in the house. So this isn't an area I have a lot of experience with. I'm wondering, do you get lots of weeds in your hydroponics and aquaponics systems? Um, it's generally very low levels of weed, um, weeds because we're actually growing in uh, raised up containers and it's also a, a sterile medium. So the main medium is expanded clay and that's been um, sterilised in its formation in a, a furnace at about 1200 degrees. So 
there's nothing going on there. Um, so weeds find it pretty hard to get in yeah. and they're very easy to pull out because the media is so open yeah. uh, that they don't get a big strong root system. So um, we're going to be joined uh, by a very special guest today, uh, Greg Neighbours, who I've known for I think about 30 years from Love in the Garden. Um, now, welcome to the show, uh, Greg. Thanks, and, Neville. Good to, uh, good to be. Excellent. Okay. Um, now, weeds are one of the, the gardener's biggest bugbears. Um, why don't we like weeds? Well, they're, um, they're not the plant we selected for the area. So basically, uh, obviously, they're invasive. There's usually a hell of a lot of them because they're uh, basically evolved to, uh, to be able to take advantage of, uh, of spare space for, for growing and compete out all of the, the good stuff that we want, uh, we want to see, beautiful flowering, etc. For sure. So I know that there's lots of different weeds and they all have different life cycles, but what are the life cycles like generally for ones specifically for lawns and how do we combat that? So uh, we have, you know, plants, it's a lot of people um, have a, a difficulty in understanding that a lot, of, uh, a lot of weeds and plants grow well in winter, even though it's cold and um, the sunlight uh, the day length is, is, is shorter, etc. So there's a lot of weeds in the lawn, particularly bindi, bindi being the, uh, the key one that um, people sort of wait for it to stick in their dog or their own feet before they decide to kill it. Well, at that point, you're far too, <laughs> you're far too late. Um, so a lot of uh, gumfrinas and uh, bindi, uh, there's a lot of germination that happens late in winter. Uh, and then of course the plant grows, matures and flowers in spring, early summer. Uh, so spraying uh, spraying your weeds out in autumn, midwinter is uh, is a great idea. Yeah. Yep. So now, now is really the time to uh, to do your final <laughs> job, isn't it? To uh, to get them under control. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for all of those winter winter flowering, then of course the the uh, the summer germinating, the ones that that rely on a long day length, um, you'll need to to retreat somewhere before Christmas to make uh, everything. Everything good for the children, uh, children, etc. Over at Christmas, uh, Christmas lunch. Yep. Now I, I understand you've got a product in the range that's going to uh, help our gardeners to uh, get rid of the weeds in lawns, particularly the dreaded bindi eye. Indeed. Um, so we have a range of products, both granular containing fertilizer uh, and liquids. The lawn builder uh, weed feed green up is there specifically to. Um, both treat the uh, the weeds and to fertilise the lawn at the same time. So uh, that's a hose end application with uh, with the great um, we call it the uh, the easy sprayer uh, with an on off switch as well as a, a just water switch. So whilst you're going around, you can just water as well as uh, as treat the treat the weeds and, and lawn. Wow, sounds fabulous. With a product like this, is there any dangers of overspraying into garden beds or? Um, the, the sprayer itself has, uh, you know, pretty good directional control, um, and yep. but caution: do not spray ornamental garden beds. Uh, it is a herbicide; it will kill broadleaf ornamentals. Yeah. So essentially, it's a selective weed killer, isn't it? it? It you can spray it on your lawn; it doesn't upset the lawn, but it knocks out 
the broadleaf weeds particularly. Correct. Um, and there's, you know, different uh, turf types as well. So uh, we have two different products for different turf types. So the selectives on, uh, for instance, buffalo are different selective herbicides to anything that you're putting on potentially kaikuyu or um, cooch grasses, bents, those sorts of things. Okay. So you need to get that right because you can actually damage a buffalo lawn if you use the wrong spray. Absolutely. Um, and it's unfortunate that each year we have uh, some complaints from consumers who have bought the wrong one, applied it to the wrong lawn. Um, so it is important to read the label. And in fact, it's a, a government regulation that says that uh, if it's a pesticide or a, or a herbicide, the label is legally required to be read by the consumer. So, If only we could make it happen, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> when all else fails, eh? When all else fails, yes, read yes, the label. Yes, yes, read the label, yeah, yeah. And a great tip to make sure that we don't run into issues with like, like that is if you take a photo of your lawn, take it down to your local garden centre, they'll be able to ID that for you so you don't run into issues. Um, unfortunately, the, uh, you would have to be very good to be able to uh, differentiate between Kaikuyu and Buffalo from a photograph. Um, you can do it, but you're better off taking a, a, a pulling a, a runner uh, one of the stolen's out, and uh, that's much easier to uh, to to identify or differentiate between buffalo and and kaikuyu. Great tip there. Brilliant, uh, Greg. Thank you so much for joining us. Lovely Look forward to, meet you. to seeing you again next week. Very good. Look forward to then. Thanks for it. Good on you. See you later. Bye. Okay, so. so now we've got questions from yes. from our uh, audience. So. Um, so there's You're questions are coming the through one. live. Yes, I am. <laughs> so we have uh, Francis here, and they're asking, how do I keep birds from scratching up mulch um, and exposing roots of my plants? Good question. I wonder what sort of birds that would be. Mm. Maybe, Maybe the, chickens? Uh, yeah, <laughs> forget it for chickens. chickens. Yeah. <laughs> there is no solution uh, other than putting... Um, Lock them up. Uh, ..probably some um, mesh over the ground so they can't uh, get at it, which is not very practical. Um, Okay, look, don't know the answer to that one in, in, in particular, but I would just put more mulch on there, basically, to, to try and cover it up afterwards. Yeah, sounds good to me. So, now, Jamie from Canberra. I've been reading conflicting advice on laying down mulch. Should we wait until the water... Uh, sorry, the water is warmer, or mulch now in... The weather is warmer, okay, yes, or mulch now in spring? I mean... Mulching at any time is always a great idea. I personally prefer to mulch in spring and then to do a top-up mulch in the, the real heat of summer. Well, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, you should always aim to have 100% of cover 100% of the time. So, in other words, the enemy to good gardening is bare soil. Uh, it doesn't help the, the quitters under the ground and it certainly doesn't help the plants above. So, um, in keep that mulch level going um, all year round is, is the real uh, answer there. And it does wear out after a while and wear thin, so uh, top it up and, and keep it at that 50 to 75 millimetres is, is the ideal. More than that, and it stops the water from infiltrating into the ground, uh, less than that, and it's not going to do the job that it should. 
So now, uh, Claudia from Gidjiganup has asked, uh, we've moved onto five acres in Gidjiganup, lucky you, and want to plant some olive fruit, oh sorry, olive and fruit trees. It seems that the underlying soil is mostly gravel and some rock. How could we improve the ground in readiness for tree planting? Well, I think the answer with all soil types is organic matter. Um, specifically for tree planting, we want to be digging a hole twice as wide as we need deep, filling that all with beautiful organic matter composts, manures, nothing too hot. I wouldn't be using chicken manure for this um, and then planting into that. With olive trees, they don't they're not as fussy. You could probably get away with doing a little bit less, but always, always, always organic matter. That's your answer. Compost. And more of it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Now, you got a question for oh, me? Oh, I sure do. Um, so somebody here has a Boab tree and they're in Perth. Um, she initially wants to plant this into a tall pot to allow root development before planting out. The tree is currently 90 centimetres tall. Okay, now boabs are um, one of those trees that um, are very difficult to grow in Perth, particularly young ones. They, uh, they don't like our, our um, climate, basically, because it's wet and cold in winter um, and hot and dry in summer. So they actually like the exact reverse. So hot and steamy in summer and uh, warm and dry in winter. So that's a challenge. Um, Kings Park have done a fantastic job uh, here in Perth in uh, bringing in large trees and they've got all the technology to heat the root systems and whatever, but it's not so easy to do that in the home garden. Now I've actually got boab trees growing at home, but they're growing on a, uh, an aquaponic system that's got barramundi in it. So we have to warm the water all year round to keep the barramundi alive. And we sit the, the um, boabs in pots on top of the expanded clay so they're getting warm water all year round. So that even then they go dormant in winter and, and start to come alive around about November every year when the conditions warm up. So how do you do this in a, in a home? It's a, it's a pretty tricky proposition. You can buy uh, propagation heating mats and, and stick the, the pot on that uh, to get you through the winter and into early spring. I'd be looking at that uh, as opposed to thinking about potting it on. And I certainly wouldn't do any potting operations until the plant's in active growth. Uh, as I say, that'll probably start about November. Now, uh, Grizz has uh, sent us a message saying we have uh, Sir Walter and we're thinking of running a corer over it. The lawn is compacted in areas. It's only three years old. How can we improve the drainage? I think a corer is a great way to go with this. Um, and then I would top dress maybe with a, it doesn't say where they are, so I don't know what soil type you have, but either compost, uh, I think a, a compost would be a good a sifted compost into the after you go over with the cora. Is that anything yeah, else? Yeah, yeah, so rub a bit of compost in is, is always good value, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then we have James in Perth and he has a large bulbous vine that grows from the ground in backyard, climbs and strangles all of his trees. Do you know what this could be? Well, it sounds like the flying yam, this Dioscora. Chorus, yes. Uh, anyway, it's a 
bit of a pest that occurs in some, usually old gardens. I remember uh, a garden in Shenton Park uh, had this popping up through the, the back and um, it, it covered the, the old almond tree quite effectively. Um, allegedly the, uh, the tubers, even the, the ones that grow on the, the upper part of the plant are edible and it does produce apparently an enormous underground tuber. Uh, I've never dug any of those up. Now, they, they, as I say, they are edible. Whether they're palatable <laughs> is another question. Now, how do you get rid of it? Well, um, really, I think the only way that I'd be happy is to uh, dig it up, and that's going to mean pulling up all the paving. Oh, what a mess. A lot but, of hard uh, work there. A lot of hard work, yeah. yes. So, and then the second part of that uh, is persistence. So. You, you don't have, you can't afford to let this plant uh, uh, get going again. So you've just got to jump on it every time you see it uh, uh, emerging. Okay, now uh, thank you for all those questions. Um, please make sure to post more in the comments. We love to hear from you. And Katie and I believe you've got a, oh, Katie, sorry, I believe you've got a great plant going for us. I sure do. <laughs> Here we have a beautiful Kalanchoe, multi-planted with lots of different colours in there. Um, this is one of my favourite plants. It's a succulent from Madagascar actually um, and they can deal with pretty much any condition you want. A little bit of frost actually, they can cope with that. Full sun, part shade, full shade, though full shade probably not for extended periods of time and they're just really hardy, beautiful, and it's not very often that succulents get these beautiful, beautiful flowers on them. It's a, a great addition to any garden. I believe you had a, a story about a Kalanchoe. Yes, I had a lady call me one day and, and say that she wanted to have a plant that she could grow on her husband's grave. There was no irrigation in the area, so it had to be something that would flower, uh, would grow without water, without anything more than the rainwater, and it had to have a white flower. So uh, it took me a while to come up with this suggestion, but I did suggest the, the white Kalanchoe. Um, and she, yeah, they've got, got one little fellow there. And we, um, and she planted it out and it all worked well, so cool. Great plant. Um, they'll probably be coming into your nurseries now if you're in warmer areas and in cooler areas probably in the next three to five weeks. One of the fun things about this plant is that you can propagate uh, it from leaves. So you sure can. Uh, Yeah, and uh, so that means that you can uh, buy one plant and before you know it, um, you've got uh, enough to plant out a border or whatever. All you need to do to take a leaf cutting is have a nice clean break on this section and just keep it moist, put it into a little bit of soil and you'll get a little baby plant coming up at the end. And they, they need pruning to keep this nice shape to them and every time you prune them you get a little bit and you can make a new cutting out of that and get a whole new plant. You can have beautiful borders in no time. It's a ripper and uh, yeah, it'll ma manage a little bit of indoor use, but uh, great to bring in for colour. Mm. And it's a plant that you often see flowering out of season because the nurserymen tricked them into flowering at Christmas time by uh, changing the day length, mm. uh, by bringing shades over and fools them into thinking it's coming into winter yet again. 
like I was saying before, I pop them outside wherever I've got a space and then when I see them starting to bud up, I bring it into the house so I get all of these beautiful, beautiful flowers and then once it's done, I put it back outside and do that every year and it's, you know, just keeps giving. It's a ripper. Well, that is a stunner. Uh, now, Katie, what are some of the things that we should be thinking about doing in the garden right now? Well, I think mulching is always a really good idea. Um, like you were saying before, you want 100% coverage 100% of the time. And, you know, right now, maybe through winter, we haven't been as vigilant about that because it's been wet. We haven't needed to keep the moisture levels in there. So definitely get on top of your mulching now. Um, and in the veggie patch, as we're transitioning from our cooler climate um, vegetables to our hot, we want to be adding lots and lots of compost into that. We want to be really bringing that soil back to life for our beautiful summer crops, which are usually pretty nitrogen heavy. They like tomatoes and corn, they like a good feed. They like a lot of good feed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Okay, so it looks like we've got some more questions. We sure do. Okay, so uh, Julia asks, um, can you tell me the pros and cons of using wood chip as mulch? Oh, well, I don't think that there are any cons specifically. I would just say that use different mulches for different areas of your garden. So for me, I use wood chip mulch in my ornamental garden and then in my veggie garden, I use um, a pea straw or a, a loosened straw or something a little bit lighter. Do you have anything to add on that? Well, just thinking that um, wood chip mulch can be pretty um, raw, mm. uh, so it's worth throwing a bit of uh, uh, fertiliser or blood yeah. and bone uh, in amongst it just to, uh, to make it break down faster uh, so that it becomes more of a compost as opposed to uh, a compost um, material, compostable material. Yeah, yeah. 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 great addition. Um, so we have Julie in Melbourne and she's had an almond tree in the ground for 10 years and it produces lots and lots of flowers but each year she only gets one almond. That's not much of a return, is it? I mean, the flower show is lovely in its own right, but uh, we, we all want more. Um, look, I suspect that the problem is uh, pollination. So uh, almonds need, in most cases, a pollinating partner. So in other words, you need to have another tree. And it's not just any other almond tree. You need to have specific ones that will match the one you have. So if you know what it is, that uh, would give you the clue then to go down to your a local nursery and, and, and get one to match. Um, there is a variety that is a self-fruitful variety called All-in-One, uh, and that one appears to be quite a good pollen donor as well. So if all else fails, plant one of those out. Um, even in a pot, you don't have to have it necessarily, um, you know, taking up the full space of a, of a large almond tree. So give that a go. So now, uh, Jamie asks, I have a small lawn with a number of weeds and bare patches. That sounds pretty familiar to a lot of gardeners, I reckon. In order to rejuvenate it, uh, should I kill it off completely and start over, 
or just patch the areas, areas that are bare? I would definitely go with patching the areas that are bare. Um, if you've got any dogs, keep it, <laughs> try to keep them off the lawn while you've got your patches there. I put a little bit of string around my new patches to keep my puppy dogs off it. Um, and keep the water up to it. It's a really good time to be doing lawn rejuvenation now, particularly in our warmer areas. Compost, a little bit of sifted compost would also help with the the takeoff of that. Yes, thing. and a bit of coring um, would probably mm -hmm. help as well. Not sure how badly the the, uh, the compaction yeah. is, uh, and particularly with heavier soils, um, they tend to compact up uh, more readily. Mm. So if you can uh, open them up, you can use a garden fork. Uh, just one hint, if you have reticulation, work out where the pipes are before you uh, slam the... I think we've all done that before. <laughs> I have, yes, a classic case. I was doing a, a TV show for the ABC at a friend's house and I completely ruined her. <laughs> system had to come back the next day and spend about five hours fixing oh, up my no. mess. <laughs> Remember it well. Uh, we have a question here from Jeff. He's in Perth. What's the safest way to control grasshoppers? Um, and he has dogs. So what are your comments there? Okay. Uh, look, they are a tricky little uh, fella to get on top of. I have found uh, a spray of molasses um, to help and the molasses puts a, a, a layer of sugar over the plant, which is too much for the grasshopper to take up. So uh, you need to break the molasses down. And by the way, you can get molasses at any of your produce stores. Uh, it's fairly easy to get your, get your hands on. Um, and it's very gooey, so you need to break it down with warm water, uh, one part of molasses to seven parts water. Uh, and then you can apply that. I actually applied it at home uh, this year on my uh, sweet potato patch, which was being monstered by little tiny uh, grasshoppers, real mm. small fry. Um, and so I applied it with a watering can with a rose uh, over the foliage, and that worked really well until it rained next, and then I had to reapply it. <laughs> okay, now a question from Lindy. How do I stop little bugs that fly around my compost heap? We've covered with hessian, but they're still bad. Well, my first comment here is, are they bad bugs or good bugs? Because often in compost heaps, we have bugs that are there helping compost become compost. So that's the first thing I would look at. The other thing that I would look at is your compost either too dry or too wet, because that can sometimes attract the, the wrong bugs. Any other comments on that? Um, no, I think you've nailed that one pretty well. Yep. Cool. Okay. So, um, ah, so we have a question here from Vera and she wants to know the best way to fertilise her bamboo that's in a pot. Okay, well I, I think probably the easiest way to go is either uh, an organic one like your dynamic lifter type fertilisers or uh, a controlled release fertiliser. Um, the beauty of those is they of course give you uh, a long season of feeding from each application. Mm. Um, so we've got another question here from Kale um, and he wants to know how to stop spider mite on his azaleas. Well Kale you might have to retire to, uh, to, to actually get this level of control but if you can spray the underside of the foliage 
um, the mites don't like that. They really like it dry, and that's why the worst attacks are in the summer. So uh, getting a, a sprayer under the foliage and do it, you know, four or five times a day, and I'm sure you'll have great success. Uh, alternatively, you can use uh, sulphur, um, either the powdered sulphur. The trick is getting that up uh, onto the underside of the leaf, because that's where the, the bugs live or you can get a wettable form of sulphur which is quite uh, useful and you can make a spray of that and once again spray it under the foliage. So uh, now Kelly also from Perth asks about a monstera that's dying. How can I bring it back to life? Well first question is that's unusual for a monstera. They're usually pretty hardy. So is it either being underwatered or overwatered? And then if it's underwatering, give it a bit more water. If it's overwatering, um, try to dry the root system out a little bit. Um, another question would be, when was the last time it was repotted? Because it could be slumping and the root system might not be able to get enough air to it, which is really important. Yes, and these are epiphytic plants, so mm. that means they grow on trees. So the roots are used to being out, almost mm. hanging onto the edge of the branches. You often see the, the, branches, the yeah. roots creep out of the pots when they're, yes. they're potted. In fact, that's a very good sign that you've overwatered it or that the <laughs> potting mix is slumping yep. with the same effect, uh, that the roots uh, come out of the ground and go over the edge of the pot. Uh, good one, yes. Now, Andrew asks, what's the best way to get rid of caterpillars that are eating my big red lily pilly? Oh, um, a, a caterpillar spray would be my first um, line of defence, probably a Bacillus thuringiensis spray, which is BT, which is actually a bacteria that um, gives the caterpillars a bit of an upset stomach. They don't like eating after that. Any other way? Yeah, well, that, that uh, look, uh, we uh, try to avoid sprays at home, mm. absolutely. So um, we will often be seen uh, after dark with a torch. And uh, so I, I hold the torch and Delia does the deed of grabbing them and then we share the, uh, the squashing on the <laughs> pavement between <laughs> us, you know. Yeah. That, that you is go. commitment, but on a lily pilly it might be. Um... Yes, that could be a tricky yeah. exercise, yes. And that's one of the big problems when you get uh, bug problems in trees is how the heck do you get, get there? Up there. You know? Yeah, of course. Even yeah. with spraying, a lot of you know large avocado trees, mango trees, you can't get up there. Yeah. Actually, we had an interesting one recently with scale attacking a uh, Chinese tallow tree, yeah, okay. and uh, it was only uh, affecting the uh, foliage and the very young stems. So um, I cut the tree down, but cut back beyond the, the leaves to areas that weren't infected and then uh, put some petroleum jelly around the base of the tree to stop the ants from oh, transporting it uh, up. And that's worked brilliantly. We had a terrible uh, infestation and uh, this is the second year now that we've uh, that the plant has recovered and uh, she's still alive and kicking. How about that? Fabulous. <laughs> okay. So uh, I think that's it for today's episode of The Garden Guru's Live. Thank you very much for joining us today and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the same time next week. Well, what are you up I, to today? Oh, I actually had a question for you. So I, as I said before, I don't have a lot of experience with hydroponics or aquaponics systems. What would be a good way to start that for a newbie? 
Well, we've got a kit which uh, is going to be featured on the show coming up in a couple of weeks' time, which is a sprouting kit, or sorry, a sprouting and... Um, Microgreens? Micro we'll thank say. you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, microgreen kit um, that uses expanded clay, but it's a very successful and easy way to get uh, going in the sprouting business. And sprouts, of course, are some of the most nutritious vegetables on the planet, and they take about four to six days from sowing to eating. That's pretty cool. That's amazing turnover. Yes, and then uh, the microgreens basically are a, a slightly longer term exercise. Mm -hmm. So that's one to two weeks of harvesting, uh, or sorry, one to two weeks after you sow the seed that you get into harvesting, yeah. Still quite um, a, a quick turnover. I can't think of anything in the veggie patch that would be that quick. Absolutely, yes. So when uh, when the lockdowns occurred, I thought, okay, this is what we've got to get out to people. The idea of growing their own veggies at home using sprouts because they are uh, just jam-packed with all the goodies. So we're back next weekend. Uh, so I think we're going to say uh, farewell from here. Yeah, so you can listen to today's live stream, catch up to previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Podbean. And we'll see you here next week on Facebook at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Time. See ya. See ya. Dig, 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 digging around. Dig, 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 digging the ground. I got my spade, I got my hoe, I got my rake and I'm ready to go. The Garden Gurus is back on your TV this weekend. Now we know that this can be a little bit confusing, so listen carefully folks. We're on 9 and 9HD for New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and the Northern Territory on Saturday at 12.30pm. For South Australia and Tasmania, we'll be on your screens on Saturdays at 4.30pm. And for those in WA, tune in Sundays at 5.30pm. And on Nine Life across all states, you can watch the Garden Gurus team every Saturday from tomorrow at 5 p.m. Dig, 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 dig in the ground. Feeling good in the ground. I got my speed, I got my hole, I got my rig, and I'm ready to go. Dig in the ground.